Hi everyone, welcome to our new episode of How Real Life Works. In this episode, we get to interview Rene, who runs her cooking classes and she owns a food company called Trunash. Annie, this was your guest that you brought. It was our very first guest that we got to interview. Yeah. Can you tell me why you decided to invite Rene to our podcast? actually went to Renee's cooking classes. That's how I know her. And from our brief conversations, I know she obviously is a very successful woman. She has her own company. She's very young and she's been to a lot of the places in the world. Aside from being a owner of a food company, she's also a dietitian. So I thought it was interesting, this mix of like both things, like she gets to do her dietitian career, but she also gets to do something she loves, which is food. So I was really intrigued. I wanted to invite her so she could share her story with us on how exactly that works. Like, how do you go through one path and then find something else that you like and still make it incorporate into your life? Basically doing things you like and making money. Yeah, I think what I remember from Rena's interview was I liked the part when she was talking about the grind working in the kitchen. Uh, this is something that she was doing for free, if I'm not mistaken. But because it was her passion, it really made her happy and she didn't mind spending a lot of hours there. And maybe that's why she ended up where she is right now. Yeah, that's a, that's the interesting part. She had an established path with a dietitian, but through the time she was studying, she fell in love with food. She had kind of had a dilemma, but then she decided to follow her passion, not entirely ditching the dietitian part, but this is a I think a very interesting thing for our audience that's out there, maybe when you're choosing college or when you're choosing things, at least this is for me when I was young, I felt like a lot of the things when I choose, it's like an either or kind of situation. Like I now decided to become this thing and I can never be something else. And that's not entirely true in real life. In real life, you get to do whatever you want. You just put your time into it and eventually you make something out of it. Also, if you guys like Hell's Kitchen, <laughs> uh, Rene will tell you in this episode if that's really how it works. Uh, I think we're talking too much, so let's get right into the episode with Rene. Today we will be um, talking to Rene, basically knowing what she, how she got to where she is and kind of explore her life journey. Uh, to start, Rene, can you tell us what you do? Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Renee. Uh, I'm a registered dietitian by trade, but I'm a chef by passion. Um, I am in Vancouver and I have this company called the Trunosh Company Limited, Trunosh basically. Everyone knows it by Trunosh. And I run cooking classes and I have a product line. And everything I do has no sugar and mostly plant-based and most uh, mostly gluten-free. How does your day-to-day -day look like? It's pretty hectic, but I kind of make it that way. I'm self-masochist is what <laughs> people call me. Um, so today, for instance, everybody's weekend is pretty chill. I had a um, Zoom staff meeting at like 10, and then I uh, have a uh, cooking class online at uh, 1230. And then I had a um, uh, Facebook live cooking and workout session at one, actually at 2 p.m. So um, I just finished that and now we're here. So hence, I might breathe a little bit deeply, but you know, life, I'm human. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going to the I hustle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I eat all the things I cook, which is great. So it's like. Nothing really gets um, wasted. And then I can't wait to eat what I just made, too. I made an apple apple tart. Kind of beautiful. And that's uh, what you just said. That's kind of like a post-COVID-19 day, I would say, right? Um, yeah. Before yeah, that, everything yeah. is just... How, how did your day look like before? Do you always, um, also always do this many things? I try to at least, you know, have, like have a schedule Monday to Friday. Everything, every day is different, right? Because I get bored easily. So I'm always trying to find things to do that are different. So usually on Mondays, we're at my production kitchen in Burnaby making my products. I have like 12 SKUs that I sell at farmer's markets and online and um, in uh, local um, independent grocery stores. So we make something different every week. It depends on which inventory is low. And we rent this kitchen that's shared by like a lot of local food companies, which is great. And then um, on Tuesdays, usually uh, it's a office day where I'm in the office 
And we just recently signed on with Uber Eats for like office pickup for some of our products. So I'm sitting there like hoping that somebody will go in the app and like order something. So I get to run out through the driver and be like, deliver this, please be careful. Um, so yeah, that's like Tuesday, Wednesdays, and then Thursdays is usually also another office day for me with my food production team. And we go over, um, some food costing and vendors and, uh, new product testing and stuff like that. And then weekends, I'm usually busy doing, uh, in-person cooking classes. So Friday nights, I usually have a dinner class. Um, that's like about six to nine people. We do pretty elaborate dinners, mostly Asian influence. I know Annie has been to a few. That's how we met. And, uh, Saturdays, we usually do a brunch or dim sum class. And then afternoons, we do something like, um, afternoon tea or baking class. So. Yeah. And then within those times, if I have free time, then people can book like corporate team building cooking classes or family birthday party cooking classes or bachelor or bachelorette party cooking classes. So there, there are a few things that you mentioned that I think our future audience probably won't understand. You mentioned SKUs. Can yeah. you explain what it means? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That's um like a SKU. So each product, like I have a... Um, Let's see. I have a gluten-free vegan oyster style sauce. That's one skew. And then I also have a black bean sauce. That's a second skew. So the number of different items I have in my mm-hmm. product line. Yeah. And you also, you also mentioned the production kitchen. Yeah. So what is the difference between the kitchen that my mom has at her home and a production kitchen? Yeah, like, why can't you do this stuff at home? Because it's illegal. So, I mean, you can, you can, uh, <laughs> is that the only reason? <laughs> you can, you can cook things at home and then mm-hmm. give it away for free to friends and family or, you know, people that know about it and trust you. Um, but you can't actually sell it to the public. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So uh, the, the health system won't allow that. Uh, since we're producing in Burnaby, we are under Fraser Health. We used to be in Vancouver, and that's Vancouver Coastal Health. So they have to inspect your kitchen and um, every skew. So we have 12 skews. Every skew, basically, I treat like my child. And they have, like, you know, birth certificate, a birth certificate and the, all the ingredients involved and where we buy all the ingredients and how we make it and, like, um, the temperatures that we need to monitor for each step and sanitization and how to wash um, the produce and how to wash the bottles that we mm-hmm. use. They all have to follow some sort of safety plan mm-hmm. and that gets looked at by the um, safety health health authority. They basically said, yes, you're, you're safe to produce only after they get a lab report of um, our product. So we send the products that we make to this lab and then, you know, we get it checked off like no mold, no specific salt count, Mm -hmm. um, the pH level, which is the acidity level is like low enough. And then also if it's a a product that's dry, like our granola, Mm -hmm. that has to have very low water activity. So, um, no uh, bacteria or fungus can grow in that environment. So if nobody dies within two weeks, it's a pass, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, yeah, I mean, usually it'll stay on the product to cover myself. Um, if you open it, make sure you put it in the fridge right away, right? For sauces and drinks. And if it's a granola, make sure that you close it, you know, and put it in like a a dry area where no moisture can go in and uh, eat it within like a certain amount of time that we know and have tested the safety to to be mm-hmm. be okay. You know, what is actually interesting to me when you gave us kind of like an f- overview of your week, I actually thought that most of your time is spent doing the classes, but to me yeah. it sounds like it's more about the product. So. Can you maybe tell us like how you actually started with your cooking? Was it with the classes or with the with the products? The classes were the very first thing. I've always wanted to interact with people. My um, how I started Trinosh is basically I have a family that is not very well well versed in nutrition and health. My father had diabetes from like when before I even was born, and my mom has 
heart disease and um, we've been eating a lot of good, bad food, like really, you know, amazing food. And my dad loves to go out to eat all the time. And um, I'd like to change people's uh, perception of how easy it is to cook gourmet food at home. So I started in my apartment in Olympic Village with like four people per class. And, and then I expanded to a larger space. The product line didn't really come out till like at least a year and a half after I started cooking classes. Mm-hmm. But now I do want to focus on that. Did you did you start exactly where Annie took your classes? Is it at your home or were uh, you at a different right. place? Uh, Annie came to, yeah, my workshop, which was not my home, but now I've made it my home. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, I think, where Renee is actually sitting right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is kind class. of my cooking studio. Mm-hmm. I think we we the weeks right now um, focuses more a lot like on cooking and all the product lines. Does um, like does dietitian make it in these um, gaps or it's mainly? I'm probably one of the few people in the food industry that has a dietitian certification or license. Um, yeah, definitely, you don't need to have that to to make food and to teach cooking. A lot of people started out without a degree in nutrition and slowly learned their way through and working in a healthcare setting also. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of ways to get to where I am. Um, I do uh, tell people that I am a registered dietitian because it's more of um, uh, like it kind of sets me apart from everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. And with the classes and the and the consultations I give, a lot of people now have insurance coverage, so that also helps people cover the costs of the cooking classes too, right? Um, I want to scale back a little bit because we're talking kind of like your present. Uh, if we go back a little bit earlier, um, I know you studied in New York, and uh, in between you also traveled to France, and you spent a few years in Hong Kong as well. Um, like if we go back to the time when you were at university, was that when you went into uni, were you already sure that you were going to study dietitian? And how, how, how was that? No, I didn't know I want to become a dietitian. And I mean, I guess you can even go back further. I was like super chubby when I was younger and I loved eating everything in sight. Um, that was really my dad's influence. He loved food and he would share it with me wherever he goes, take me out all the time. Um, so then I, uh, I'm Asian, obviously. So people are like, oh, you know, like, where are you going to study in university? And I was like, oh, I'm going to become a doctor. Yeah, that was like <laughs> bullshit, right? So um, I actually went to San Diego for, for undergraduate. So I have a degree in biology thinking that I would become a doctor because that's what most of my friends wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have a biology degree, but then what you can do with the biology is really like go into pre-med or like do work in a bio lab, right? To, yeah. to test things. That was really scary to me. So I didn't really know what to do after um, I graduated with a biology degree. And then I went and um, actually did one year in visual art. So I became a painter for a year. <laughs> um, hence, I was like, oh, you know, this is so amazing. I love art and I love food. So I designed actually my logo myself and I actually designed Mm -hmm. most of my labels uh, for my products. And um, I decorated the house. I painted everything. Um, So I I love doing that. And then it was in art, in like my art minor, I just um finished um i decided that oh nutrition might be a good thing like oh becoming a dietitian might be a very sexy thing that is an <laughs> up and coming up and coming you know um career to take up little did i know though um uh actually working as a clinical dietitian was a completely different thing but i'm so glad i have that experience so yeah then then i was like oh i'm going to apply to schools that offer dietitian uh, training like dietetics basically so I kind of was like oh where am I going to go that I would never go to if I didn't study there right so mm-hmm. I applied to like London and New York and 
um, other places in New Zealand and, and all that stuff because I kind of wanted to be as far away from my family as possible, which was exciting to me back then. But now I'm back in, in Vancouver where my family is. It's a completely different mindset right now. Um, so I, I got accepted to NYU, which was a complete surprise to me because I was like, oh, I'm never going to get in. And then I got in and I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> so let's, yeah, I did that. I was in New York for six years. While I was studying, I was a waitress in, in um, a lot of awesome restaurants in New York City. This is probably the best place to go and like really immerse yourself in the restaurant industry. I just fell in love with my chef. I see. Um, very, it's a, a very long ride. Um, but I think there, I have a lot of questions, but I'm still going to go. Wait, why did you fall in love with him? Was it because of the food or because of? Yeah, yeah. The heat, the food was very, very much amazing. Um, uh, and, you know, just being a chef inside a restaurant is amazingly uh, sexy and just, attention grabbing and you kind of just like go in and everybody is kind of bowing down at you like yeah <laughs> um you are you are the conductor of the entire restaurant mm. yeah basically. that's true yeah um, i only know it from hell's kitchen so well yeah. <laughs> is that actually accurate portrayal of how it looks like mm -hmm. in a it fancy restaurant there are different schools of running a restaurant right so there are restaurants that are open kitchens quite quiet, very serene, people don't yell at you, yell the orders at you because the whole restaurant you can see through, right? Mm -hmm. Into the uh, restaurant, which is a good and bad thing because I do like the camaraderie and the um, adrenaline in the kitchen when you're, there's constantly yelling and, and, you know, things flying at you in different <laughs> speeds and places. Um, and then there is the yelling kitchen, you know, I, I've worked in both. Um, my very first kitchen was a Michelin star kitchen. It's called I Fury and Fifth Avenue. And yeah, the, the chef de cuisine would, um, basically threaten your job if you're not fast enough because there is another person waiting to get into your spot mm -hmm. if you get fired, yeah. right? So. Yeah, so the good thing, the good and bad thing about being in a big city is there's always a replacement. You're not the only one that can do this. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, oh, why did I go to university and get paid the same amount? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say, um, I'm still thinking about how earlier you said that because you're Asian, you were thinking that you grow up and you want to be a doctor. Was there mm -hmm. any kind of like, was that kind of like just in your mind, the mindset, or was there any family influence that you yeah, went no. through this route? I mean, my family would be amazingly, you know, proud if I became a doctor, but I, I grew up like knowing that my mom would support me either way. Like I don't have to be a doctor to be, mm -hmm. to be loved, in a, yeah. uh, but it was just kind of like the influence of my peers and friends, right? They're all like gung-ho about, oh, I'm going to be a doctor and like this and that. And like, I kind of want to kind of just follow them and do that. I mean, I wanted to fit in and everything, right? But yeah. um, I'm so happy that I didn't pursue the, that because I would be so unhappy. Not that I didn't want to save lives, but that that whole like responsibility of having someone's life in my hands, I would rather just cook for them. Well, technically now you're still yeah. saving lives with your yeah. products. Like you basically offer people um, food that they may be not able to eat because of the sugar that's inside. Yeah, well, like, sugar is not something bad. I mean, it is bad if you eat too much of it. It's bad. Like water is bad if you drink too much of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not some like sugar is not what causes diabetes, but it's it's if you have diabetes and you have like my father had diabetes, so I have a higher instance of getting diabetes. Um, I do want to let people know that it is something that you need to watch, right? Um, and and uh, we're not meant to eat raw sugar, like consume syrup, like we do nowadays. We're meant to eat fruits and vegetables. Um. And um, so, yeah, sugar is, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with it. You know, it's, it's very addicting, but it also can be um, something that you can put on a pedestal that you eat 
once every week or something to, to make it a little bit special. And then you can kind of um, train your taste buds to want it less and less if you eat it less and less, right? Mm -hmm. you, you were mentioning earlier just now that you felt when you were in the kitchen that why did you go to university to get pay literally the same? But was there any, um, even, even though that kind of happened, like, do you think, is there anything that you take out of university like the whole experience oh yeah of course i mean i wouldn't trade it for anything being in college was amazing i mean what made you know you kind of grow up that way um if i didn't go to university i probably would have been quite lost um but i went i went mostly because i had to and it was something that if i didn't my my um family would be like uh you know why did you throw that away? And, you know, the society that we're in requires you to have a college degree, university degree to cross over into becoming something like more legitimate, right? Um, but it's being in the restaurant world that I learned even more than I did in university. I mean, I've, the books are written, I guess, like one or two years before they're printed. And by the time they're taught, especially in in the science world, it's, you know, already kind of getting older because new research is always happening, especially in the food and nutrition world, too. Yeah, one day coconut oil is like the best thing that you can have. Like people are eating it by the spoonful and putting it all over the body and face and <laughs> everything they cook with is coconut oil. And then like the next day, it's like, oh, it's bad so much. Um, saturated fat and it's not exactly as good as you know uh, research has said it's been right so there's always that case I mean that everything should be taken by a grain of salt and that's what I've learned in university if I didn't go to university I wouldn't know how to read like scientific research like I know how to read it and decipher it right yeah you don't get to yeah, I was going to say, if you were to go full through the restaurant route, because um, you said you learn more in the restaurant world than university, do you th still think there's value in going through the degree um, to, to cook, to become a successful chef? Well, I mean, if you're a chef, no. Like most of my, the chefs that I know have not been to culinary school. It's, it's very expensive for one to mm -hmm. get a culinary degree. And even if you have a graduate, uh, if you graduated from a prestigious culinary school like the Cordon Bleu or something, you're still just a fresh graduate from culinary school and you don't know how to work in a real kitchen and handle things that are coming at you like, you know, within seconds when an order comes in, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like what you do is you, you can't learn that in school. You really have to work inside a real kitchen to understand the things that are happening day to day in a kitchen. So my the best chefs that I know never really went to culinary school. They all learned in the kitchen and under chefs that they, you know, also work with too. And that's how they become who they are. To go back, uh, you went to New York, started the dietitian and use a degree, like started to learn it. And you said it's very different than what you thought. Um, what was the kind of like the misalignment? Like, what did you think it was? And um, how did it turn out to surprise you? <laughs> well, I mean, there there are things that are, are still like legit. I mean, you're a dietitian, you, you are like the specialist that knows everything about, not everything, but like most things about food and nutrition, right? Um, but there are, there are so many people competing with you in that realm. Like there's dietitians, holistic nutritionists, um, certified nutritionists, so many people that have a lot of knowledge that are trying to have their voice heard. That's something that I didn't expect to be, um, coming out of a registered dietitian, I guess, having that degree and also taking the federal exam to be coming out and having that much competition to get your voice heard. And that was something interesting. And dietitians are quite like people in a uh, country club too. I mean, it's hard to get your RD, right? You have to get into a school that has that program and then even if you have a dietitian or a nutrition degree, you have to get, um, you have to apply to be in the dietetics program. 
Uh, UBC only takes like 35 students a year out of like 300 nutrition students, um, just because they only have so many placements in the healthcare industry for um, the internship. So dietitians who have uh, registered dietitians go through like a residency, like doctors basically, right? And they have to have enough spots to have these dietetic students go and, and fill. Um, that's already hard. And then you have to go and get the, after you get the internship, you have to do the internship and then you have to take a, a exam that is um, taken by all dietitians in the, in the country in order to get the registration, right? Um, and not all nutrition, not nutritionists don't have to do that. And, and, and uh, holistic nutritionists don't have to do that too. So it's just, oh, you know, once you have the dietetics and the, the dietitian, um, I guess, title, like people are like, kind of like, you know, they don't really want to collab as much because I think it's just, how hard it is to become who they are. But now I'm trying, I'm working with a bunch of dietitians in BC and they, they uh, this, these two girls, Amy and um, Crystal, they established this group called BC Dietitians and it's all about collaboration um, with dietitians because we're just kind of sick of doing things on our own without any help and, you know. Yeah, there's like so many things. Like, and then I, I, and I, I ended up working in long-term care which is not exactly lavishing, um, you know, you, you go on wound rounds, which you go around and look at people's wounds, right? So it's all about bloody things, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you recommend protein and, and supplements to help these guys heal their crazy wounds. And then you also see a lot of obese people that want to lose weight, but don't want to lose weight at the same time. And I, and then they get unhappy getting like a soft boiled egg over a hard boiled egg. And then I have to run to the kitchen. So at the end of the day, after working two years in a long-term care home, I just felt like I was a high-end um, waitress that dealt with a lot of unhappy patients. And then I was still working in a waitress as a waitress at the yeah. same time. So it's like I was doing two waitressing jobs, one in a clinic setting where I was wearing a lab coat and doing a lot of note taking. And then another setting, which was like very sexy, high end restaurant and people would order wine and food and I would bring it to them. And I, I felt even, and I felt happier that way. So mm -hmm. at the, at the kitchen, right? So when, when is the time you actually started cooking? Like how did it, when did this pa passion or hobby kind of start to pick up? I think it was in high school. I went to a boarding school and um, I just, you know, loved shopping for food and cooking for my friends. And I like to do dinner things with them. And then when I had time, my my go to channel was the food channel when we all had cable back then. Now I, I don't have cable, but it's like whenever I turned on the TV in high school all the way to like university it was like the food channel playing 24-7. And that's how I kind of learned some basic skills. And then in dietitian, um, in my dietitian education, there's like culinary skills, also two courses only, like two, two courses in like the midst of three years that I had mm -hmm. to go to school, which is not enough for a dietitian because I know a lot of dietitians that are practicing have no idea how to cook. And um, so I actually started um, planning a master cooking class, like a a course, like a five-week cooking class for mm -hmm. dietitians and nutritionists that need more um, cooking skills, and 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 uh, hopefully that will pick up next year. I st I still don't get it. Like, how did you get to your first cooking job? And oh, how old were you? And where were you in your life? I was in New York. Um, so I I started working at the same restaurant I waitressed thing waitressed mm. at. Yeah, so. Um, I was like, I want to try it because um, I actually uh, applied to a cooking culinary school and I was mm -hmm. going to go to actually get a full training of being a chef. And then I was telling my colleagues at the restaurant, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to culinary school. And they're like, don't waste that money. It's a lot of money. 
um, why don't you just, you know, work here for free? And I was like, okay. Um, and then I realized really quickly that I learned, like, while I was working for free in the kitchen, I learned so much more, like, from just being there watching them do it. And they put me in salad station, which is Garmanger's uh, station. That's where most chefs started Sorry, out. That, even was that English? I didn't um, understand anything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's called the GM, Garde Manger. It's like salad prep section. Okay. I think that's where yeah. people usually start, right? When they first yeah. wanted to get into cooking in the kitchen. Yeah. So yeah. even if you have a culinary degree, you start there, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I'm not going to say like if you went to culinary school, you don't matter. But right. honestly, yeah. you still start at the same place. And it's really about what you can do in the kitchen and versus what you know. Mm. You have to show them that you're you're there to do work and you, you can handle the, the stress in the kitchen and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So. When I was waitressing at the sports bar uh, back at home, um, the bartender also wanted to get into the kitchen and that's where she started like chopping <laughs> chopping salad and then like prepping pre- prepping for the for the food yeah yeah so i learned so much just by working for free for like at least six months it's kind of like an internship <laughs> at a restaurant it was it was <laughs> unpaid yeah right? yeah yeah un- unpaid. and then i just worked my way up so after the salad section i work in the fish section and then you do sauces and and hot food um and then the very last section you can't touch until they you pass a certain level that you they think you're ready to do it is to cut meat and cook meat you don't even touch meat until after like a year and a half of being in the kitchen you gotta wait essentially one and a half year before you actually get to process meat or even start working with it yeah yeah, I mean, not really one and a half years. I mean, if you're good enough, you can do it within like nine, six to nine months, right? It depends the size of the restaurant, right? So the restaurant that I started out with had um, like a chef and then like a sous chef and then like everybody else was cooks. So yeah, there was like five, five of us at the kitchen mass. So I moved up a little bit faster than if you were to work in a larger scale restaurant how long did you work in the restaurant till you kind of realized that cooking is what you wanted to do or was that ever a realization oh yeah i mean i just was like so i hated myself as a dietitian because i wasn't giving it to my all at work mm-hmm. and uh, i would dread it because i was like this is what i studied for but i was spending all my time in the restaurant mostly yeah. because they had free food <laughs> And then, <laughs> um, and then I love I love my coworkers because there's no no job ever I've ever done had the same camaraderie like you mm. got each other's backs right um, you get yelled at for the same reasons and you get like you know praised for the same reasons because you all have to work together right mm-hmm. um, so I loved hanging out there I got I you know I mean I was drinking a lot. <laughs> at those times, I was like in my early 20s. So I mean, we all have that period of time. So it was a lot of fun. I was learning for free and I didn't have to pay like the $25,000, you know, to get my culinary certification. And I was meeting a lot of chefs and sous chefs and, and you get to meet the industry people. And it's actually really small in New York. Everybody knows each other. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then we kind of find out, oh, which, which kitchen is better, which chef is crazy, which chef is like the dating the chef. Social which, world yeah, it's like the smallest, smallest circle you would think that can exist. But it's, it was so much fun um, working for free. But then I was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of good. So I should get paid for this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to so. say, when do you start getting paid? Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, basically, another restaurant was hiring, and I I knew the one of the chefs like cooks there, and they're like, "Oh, we're hiring. You should definitely come work with us. You would like it a lot." Mm-hmm. So, um, they they offered me a a, a cook position, mm-hmm. and then I brought it back to my other kitchen. I was like, "So, <laughs> <laughs> you're paying me. What do you think?" <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so then the, the restaurant that I was like, it's called a staging, like a volunteering at, um, started to pay me for my shift. Did it also uh, make you a chef too? They made me uh, for, for a, a cook. cook. A cook? Yeah. 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 So that was good. Um, but then, so then I, that's when I realized I should quit my dietitian job and it was hard. I was young. And so I didn't know what was involved. I mean, I had a pretty、mm. good job. They have health insurance and in the U.S. is huge, right? You get. Yeah. Health insurance, right?、Um, so, in, in the restaurant industry, which everybody should have health insurance because you're in the kitchen,、yeah. kitchen you can freaking die any night of the week kind of thing. You don't get the insurance.、Um, but I was young and I was really, you know, healthy. So, I was like, who needs health insurance? <laughs>、um, so, then I, I did quit my dietitian job and I worked full time at the restaurant. How old were you when you quit?、Uh, I was like 28. I wasn't that young because I, mean, I have a master's degree. So I didn't graduate my dietitian as a dietitian until I was 26. Yeah, that must have been a struggle, right? Like, kind of the dietitian is, I, I would say, probably the,、um, the more popular, fitting, social norm kind of good job. Whereas the, the cooking world is kind of like a mystery, but like you really enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't tell my mom. I was, I was <laughs> telling her that I was a, a consultant, a dietitian、What? consultant for a restaurant group. <laughs> that's, a, that's why I spent that much, many, <laughs> many hours in the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, I couldn't tell her, but I just, you know, assured her that I was safe and、mm-hmm. happy. And I mean, that's the good thing about not living in the same city as your family, right?、Mm. Yes. But、oh, yeah. for, for how long did you have to keep on with this pretending? This secret? Oh, for a long time, like at least three, two and a half, three years. So, what was, the, what was their reaction in the show, like after you told them? I mean, I, it wasn't until I kind of left the restaurant world that I kind of was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Hong Kong to be, a, you know, to do something else. And, and then that's why, like, oh, you know, your job is so good. And, and then I was like, actually, I hated it. And I was a chef for a while. When you mentioned that you were working for free,、um, so I know this scenario. We also have kind of like a Czech version of Gordon Ramsay. That's how I got into actually caring about what I put in my mouth, you know, for eating, because he had a show kind of like a Hell's, not Hell's Kitchen. What is it? Kitchen, kitchen nightmares, right? Where he goes into the restaurants and he, and you see all the behind the scenes, you know, how crappy the food is prepared, how the ingredients suck and everything. And he was also saying that he just wanted to get a job somewhere in like a big city and work for some famous skill chef and he would do it for free. So、yeah. let's say that like this experience that like working for free is good,、uh, is maybe common. In the culinary world. And I'm thinking, like, if you think this is something that other people should look for, like, regardless of the industry. Absolutely. I mean, I learned so much working for free. It wasn't really working for free, I was getting an education、mm-hmm. uh, while I was working for free. So that's how I flipped it. I mean, I, I was not working. Education for free.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, right?、Um, and I, I just, you just have to kind of, Put that down in a way. The restaurant is always a place you can, can feed you. <laughs> so that's always a good thing、um, for food. And then also working in a restaurant, you can always find a job. There's so much turnover that、um, I feel like that's something that it's a skill that I, I can always take with me no matter where I go. Whatever country always has a restaurant or like a food. Place that needs someone to cook.、Mm-hmm. And it's also a hard job. So, not a lot of people can do it. I guess you're doing the dietitian job when you're working for free, right? I was. I was still doing the dietitian job. So, once I got the, the、um, cook title, I guess I, I didn't quit right away. So, I,、mm-hmm. I tried to, like,、um, you know, beef up my savings so then I wouldn't be too crazy. But I spent most of my time in the restaurant too. So it wasn't like I was lavishly spending things. I didn't really need to shop because you just wear chef clothes.、Um, and you eat at the restaurant、yeah. too. <laughs> you eat at the restaurant and as a chef or as a cook, you will never get weekends off, anyways. Like it was weird to me that I was free on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. So that was the busiest. 
and you, you're needed at the kitchen the most on the weekend. So I wouldn't really go out. And if you went out, you would go out with the industry, right? So everybody looked like crap and it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's fine. not look like crap, but you know, like everybody knows that you just had a hard service, you know, and in New York, it's not like you serve a hundred people at night. You serve like two to 300 people at night, right? It's that crazy. And, and it, you just kind of still really go out. So during that time is actually, I had a reality check because the friends that I had that I used to hang out with when I had like a, a regular nine to five were very distant from me because I, I love, I wanted to hang out with them, but every mm-hmm. time I hung out with them, I would like be really tired and I sometimes actually fell asleep during dinner because <laughs> I was so tired because I was working like crazy. I, I have, a, I told you I was masochistic when I was in the restaurant because I wanted to learn as quickly as I could. So mm-hmm. I worked, when I worked in that hotel, like that, it's a hotel restaurant. So they had breakfast, lunch, you know, they had food every hour, every day. Yeah. Right? So I wanted to learn from the bread chef. So he woke up, he started work at five and I learned how to make bread. He was Jewish baker and, you know, um, I learned a lot of, about Jewish baking. So I would, would wake up and go to work at five and then I would work with him to make bread until, um, I guess, 11-ish. And then I would start cooking for lunch. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, or I would waitress during lunch. And then I would go back into the kitchen for dinner cooking. So I was there literally like from 5 a.m. to like yeah. midnight every day. More, more than 9 to 5. Same thing. Yeah, just because I wanted to learn everything about it. And because I knew eventually I wanted my own business. So, I mean... I'm I was still young, I was still able, so like I just kind of didn't give a crap of my time that I spent there. We were saying like 28, 27, 28, you knew back then that you wanted to start a business. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to be kind of my own boss. True Nosh right now, was it always the vision you had when you wanted to start a business or, or it was just like a one day I'm going to work for myself kind of thing? Yeah, it was kind of one day I'm going to work for myself because most of the time in my jobs, I give it a lot. You know, I treat it like my own already. So why why give everybody else money that I work so hard for and not doing it for myself? Was that, was that the main factor why you wanted something for your own? What? Money. Mm, no, I mean, I mean, I came from a very comfortable family, so it wasn't really a big deal but I also wanted to prove the, the, to them that I didn't need their money and mm-hmm. I would be able to do it on my own and that's actually still resonated from everything that I do right now. I have very uh, distance when I feel like I need to ask for investment or something mm-hmm. like that and I would rather ask outside investors for to, than to go to my family which is stupid I know but because I now have to pay interest and I had I had to so I actually have some investors in Trinosh, and they they invested about a hundred thousand dollars U.S. into my company last year. Um, but I had to share my company. I mm-hmm. had to give them a percentage, right? So, um, but I felt better because I felt like I I did this on my own, and I convinced a complete stranger to give me a hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Versus asking my mom or or brother for help, and that was that was worth it to me. It's kind of like they also believed in your vision, right? It's that kind of a sense of achievement. Also, someone see the things that you're seeing, kind of like that yeah. validation. Yeah, I guess so. Our story stopped at where you went to Hong Kong. <laughs> you told your family <laughs> and then you went to Hong Kong. You said you... Uh, well, I didn't what... go to Hong Kong yet. I went to Europe for like six months and then I went mm-hmm. to Hong Kong. And what did you do um, in Europe? I was farming. I was a farmer for about six months, four, four months, and then I traveled. So I did this program called Woof. Woofing, W-W-O-O-F, and I think everybody could, should do that once, once or twice in their lifetime. You can do it with their family, you can do it with your spouse, you can do it with your partner, you can do it with your siblings, you can do it with your friends, you can do it alone. I did it alone. I always wanted to go to France to like make cheese and, and make and see how they did the wine and stuff and brush up on my français. Can you explain what it means? Because what is, uh, what is woofing? It stands for Worldwide Organization of Organic Farming. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Woof. Yeah. So you can go onto the website. I think it's woof.org or something. 
www.oof.org. And you can pick a country. That's what I did. I haven't been on the website for a while now. And you can even do it in like Pemberton here or like on the island. As as long as it's registered as an organic farm on Woof, like you can find it. And then if you want to plant vegetables or, or do make cheese or or go to a winery that's organic. It, it's, you could just pick a country and pick the place that you want to volunteer at. And you, you just talk to the farmers themselves and see if they need help there. They can give you all the information you need to travel to their farm. And I got quite lucky with France. So I lived with two different families, one in the southeast of France, one in the southwest of France. And they're very different people. Learned how to do make grayer cheese in one mountainous area in France. And then um, I lived with an elderly couple that did this as a retirement thing. They had a goat milk, goat cheese farm, and also like a vegetable garden. So that was cool. And you, you said um, you feel like everyone should do this once or twice in their life. Uh, why is that? Like it's, what, what, what's so special about the experience to you? I mean, you look at, you look at the food in the grocery stores, and there's a major disconnect to to see where it comes from mm-hmm. before it gets to gets to the grocery store, right? So like there, I mean, there are a lot of videos now that you can Google and and understand where those fruits mm-hmm. and vegetables come from and how it's grown and how it's produced and and then shipped to Canada and then ta-da, it's in the grocery store. But not many people understand where it's from. So I I had a um a yearning to go to France because it was kind of like it was still the culinary capital of the world when I was at that age now it's kind of you know Spain France is still amazing but like you know Spain and even like Dutch food like Copenhagen is amazing and then Mexican food like every every country is like uh upping their game in food yeah (laughs) Yeah. right now which is amazing because you need competition to to thrive I like that um so yeah France was like exciting so that's why i picked france and it's romantic because i'm a romantic so. <laughs> yeah uh, so that was cool i don't know i mean it's to learn more about food because knowing how to cook it wasn't enough for me and i really wanted to kind of have that full well-rounded experience to to see how it comes from to see if i can like grow these things with these farmers and help them out to bring food to the market to sell and, and all that so I think the whole thing with the farming really helped me to connect the, the food that I eat now and, and know where it comes from and the hard work that it takes to, like, get all that food to the table. You went to uh, Europe and then... Uh, and then I went to, to Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Yeah. Was it also to do something food-related or just entirely something different? Yeah, I was a um, a teacher's assistant at a cooking school, a Chinese cooking school. For, for about six months. So I learned a lot of Chinese food and I learned a lot of Chinese during that. Like I speak fluent Chinese already, but I didn't read that well. I didn't write as well. Now I can text in Chinese and I can basically understand a lot of words that I was not able to recognize before. So that really helped me out. I mean, I really wanted to find my roots. My family is from Hong Kong. And Hong Kong has always just been very appealing to me, mostly because of the amount of people, the food scene there was crazy. And it was just like, if you can survive in a place like Hong Kong, you can survive, survive anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. It wasn't New York. Like, I felt like New York was a little bit more backwards than Hong Kong. Hong Kong is like a world city to me. And a lot of when I was in America, I thought, oh, everything was amazing there. But um, once I left the whole, like, I want to be American, like, period of my <laughs> life, like, once I left there and I realized how a lot of people there are very ignorant and, and I mean, not everybody, but it's just the environment in America just makes you a little bit different and embrace different things than when you go away and, and look at America from, like, another side of the, the world. Do you feel like, um, because you were in New York and then also at France and uh, spent a lot of time in uh, Hong Kong, do you feel like like knowing these different parts of the world, learning about their a little bit about their culture, um, made an impact to your life? I wouldn't say your business, but like 
does these experience bring you something? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, working in different parts of the food industry and having different um, job titles also mm -hmm. made me realize how important it is to value the lowest of ranks and also value the highest of ranks. So we all have different jobs, right? I mean, when I was working in the Chinese cooking school, I was a TA. I mean, I was, you know, I was making like minimum. By the way, Hong Kong never had a minimum wage until I think 2010 or something. So the wages were like so crazy. Uh, people, like the poverty line is like really mm -hmm. crazy too. And then people were really, really rich or really, really poor. And it was like really crazy. Um, but anyways, I was working really closely with the dishwasher uh, at the culinary school mm -hmm. and we became really good friends. Um, and then my friends were like, oh, why are you hanging out with the dishwasher? Well, but we need her, <laughs> you know, like, and then like, she's like, she's probably one of the best people I know. And I still talk to her and I still text her and I'm like, oh, how are you doing? You know, whatsoever. It's like, it doesn't mean like she's not educated or not, you know, worthy of being a friend of, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I, I really stand, I mean, very strongly of being able to have these friendships. And I mean, I'm not saying like I'm using them, but like use them as leverage to, to kind of, you know, like make sure that things run smoothly when you're doing your job. You know, you need all these small people to help big things happen, right? Was it after Hong Kong you came back to Vancouver? Like what was the, you're trying to get away from your family for the longest time. What, what kind of brought you back? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> my father <laughs> passed away about 10 years ago. I mean, I, I mean, my mom has been fine for like a while, but it was just, I felt really um, guilty being away. She was aging and like, you know, she's a widow and my brother was here, but it was just like, everybody's like, oh, when are you going to come home? Your mom would love to have you around. Mm -hmm. You know, you can start your own business here and there'll be a lot more support than you would get when you're, if you're in Hong Kong. I'm actually thinking it's it's kind of interesting because you have dietitian, which is something that you kind of got out of your education. And you had your passion, which is cooking. Somehow along the way, it became your job. And you kind of combine that together to make a business. And the part of here we haven't talked about is also that there's also yoga involved in, in this mix of it. <laughs> so it, it's, it's kind of like combining all the things you like and then yeah. making a business out of it. Um, yeah. Is that, and like I would say, is that a strategy or that's kind of just organically happened? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I love yoga. I, I, I didn't, I mean, I started practicing in New York and then uh, I kept doing it throughout Hong Kong and Vancouver. And then I got the space where I could technically turn it. I mean, I have turned it into a yoga space also. Now it's my living room. Um, and I was like, oh, why not? Right. I mean, I'm promoting health I'm promoting exercise and healthy cooking. So why yeah. not doing in one roof and the same umbrella? Right. So I still teach only when it happens to be before the cooking class. So I have a lot of um, team building and birthday parties and, and bachelorette parties that request me to teach a yoga class before they start cooking. So I would do that. Um, I, I'm certified, so I, I did the whole like 200 hour thing and and uh, and became a certified teacher. But I do not think I would pursue that as much as I pursue the cooking part. Um, yeah, mainly because it's just like I don't want people to think like I'm everything and not like I'm I'm a jack of all trades but the like, king of none. So I wanted to be really focusing on one thing, so mm -hmm. people don't be really, like, oh, so you want to cook and now you want to teach yoga. Well. So now I'm more like, I really, I love, I really enjoy going to yoga classes and collaborating with yoga teachers and having them come in and teach that portion. And then like sharing the, the, the food part with them, like, and um, that is more of a community building thing that I'm working on right now mm -hmm. with uh, yoga teachers and fitness coaches. So um, I'm looking at it as a more of a collaboration and getting more people involved in Trunash and working with Trinash as a partner than trying to do everything myself. You mentioned a lot of things. There's quite a bit of 
community that's um like with like within your life like you have the dietitian groups and you also have a collaboration with the the yoga the yoga teachers so is that like something that uh resonates with you something to give back to the community and um like finding ways to sort of do that through the company yeah I mean, I love, you know, meeting people and networking. So uh, the more people that, you know, come to me, the better. And that's what happened, I guess, here. Not that I, I am, uh, don't want to keep growing. Um, and I, I'd love to um, continue all these collaborations, too. But, uh, yeah, the community part was very, very important. And I just felt like being a dietitian, there was really not much community until I met these lovely woman at BC Dietitians. And then, um, uh, and then being a chef, you know, you always want to be the spotlight of the restaurant. There can be only one chef, right? So not much community there. Um, but yeah, so I guess I'm trying to, to bridge that gap with cooking classes and having people come in and cook here and teach cooking here and teach yoga here. So we can kind of bring everybody up together and, and share that Pie and make the pie a little bit bigger for everybody. Looking at your life now, and um, what do you think it's the ideal life? Are you living it right now, or there's more you want to do with Chunash, incorporating more <laughs> things you want? Yeah, what do you think? I feel like I'm doing. Um, I'm on the right track of trying to grow the business. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to look for a storefront. So we can open a little shop where I can showcase all my products, do demos there, and um, have a deli with a little grocery store. So the deli would showcase all my sauces and, and products, you know, in like mm-hmm. um, the form of a grab-and-go convenience style place. And it's going to be all gluten-free, plant-based, and sugar-free. So that's probably going to be a first of its kind in Vancouver, um, and then we're going to showcase local products that are also in that same umbrella, gluten-free, plant-based, and I mean, you know, no processed sugar. So that's how I kind of want to really start that sooner rather than later. And working off of similar business plan, maybe if you can like, compare myself to Starbucks, I wanted to have like these shops that can serve food and drink to people that have like a unique menu that people are familiar with, you know, you go in there and there's like a name that you can just order. Uh, and then, you know, it's consistent and easy to make grab and go style and then have a few products that I can really scale up the production to, <laughs> to distribute to grocery stores within Canada, you have, like worldwide, basically, right? Um, that's kind of my vision of coming uh, with Trinosh. I'm going to be focusing on um, the products. And coming up with a menu of this deli and looking at other local products that have a similar umbrella that I'm looking for and having an online store that combines everything in the store. If younger generations right now, they're looking into um, becoming, I I guess, stepping into the culinary world or kind of like... uh, aspiring to it? Like what, what's some of the advice you would give to them? I think not being afraid of working for free and not feeling like you always have to be paid for your work mm-hmm. um, is something that you should always try to embrace and not being afraid to let your light shine when you can and not afraid to ask for help when you need it. You mean like uh, just in general kind of help? Yeah, anything like really. Like I, I always ask my friends for advice for mm. everything. Like, like, oh, it's just anything. Like, do you like this color? Or what do you think of this restaurant? What do you think of this vegetable? You know, I just like to open up for a conversation. So mm-hmm. I, I get, get uh, you know, not just my own point of view, but everybody else's point of view. Not that it matters that much, but it helps me understand that I'm not crazy and I don't come up with crazy ideas and it's just all me mm-hmm. nice good good advice is that good i think so i mean well not the <laughs> not the last one but i mean like the whole like not being <laughs> not being afraid to work for free 
but still yeah. know when the like when it's like know your value right like kind of like also, yeah. you you were saying like hey i should be paid now i'm <laughs> i'm pretty good uh, at what i'm yeah. doing yeah so yeah. i think that's some yeah. good advice yeah. and then everybody has their own timeline right i always feel like people saying oh i'm too old for this then they're always going to be older the next day and they're never going to be able to do it right so that's that's something that really hits me. I'm like, well, yeah, you're too old for it because you always have that mindset and you're never going to do anything different. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much to uh, being on our podcast. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm so happy that this <laughs> happened. Actually, it was fun. It was more like a hangout thing for me. Thanks for joining us in this episode. If you like what you heard, be sure to tune in for the next one. You can find short clips of the interview on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Tell us what you think on Discord and Reddit. We are How Real Life Works on all the socials. Links are in the description.